All right, please take your Bibles. We're going to pick up in um, our study of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 25. We will begin in the last verse of chapter 25, which is verse 28, and we will read through verse 12 of chapter 26. And while you're turning there, I would like to commend a book to you. Um, It's a book called Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. And in that book, she deals with um, the difference between progressive Christianity and Christian Christianity, although she doesn't quite put it that way. Um, But she deals with issues within the church that have come up um, pretty much from the time the church was established, but but have taken a bit of a modern contemporary twist. Um, but it's, it's just a good basic introduction to defending true Orthodox Christianity according to the scriptures. And so I would commend a book, Another Gospel by Elisa Childers. And make sure it is that book, Another Gospel. There are several others out there by the same title, but it is the one by Elisa Childers. And I, I wholeheartedly recommend it to you as a good introductory um, information into how we um, defend our faith. So our scripture today comes from Proverbs chapter 25, beginning in verse 28. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like snow in the summer or rain in harvest, honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for the horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence is the sending of a message by the hand of a fool. Like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like tying a stone in a sling is the giving of honor to a fool. Like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Like an archer who wounds at random is he who hires a fool or any passerby. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Let us pray. God of mercy and grace, you have filled us with the knowledge of all things good and you have given us living hearts to love you and to pursue the holiness you call us to. As a help to us in that pursuit of holiness, give me the spirit-filled boldness to say things that are reminders of our standing before you and of our walk in holiness. Give each of us the ears to hear and the hearts that respond so that we may walk well before you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Is there any hope for the fool? This is a valid question considering the hard line that Solomon has has drawn in the sand throughout the book. The, The line drawn between the fool and the wise. In Proverbs 1.18, Solomon states that the fool's thirst for blood will boomerang back and his own blood will be forfeit. In Proverbs 1.26 and 27, wisdom promises that she will mock the fool when they call out in calamity and in distress. In Proverbs 2.21 and 22, 
It is promised that the fool will be cut off from the life and bounty of the land. And in Proverbs or in Proverbs 5.23, among many other passages throughout the book, we are told that the pursuer of folly will be met with death. Is there any hope for the fool? In today's passage, Solomon highlights the danger that the fool brings and then points us to the reality that, yes, there is hope for the fool. First, the fool's danger. The fool is... The fool is a danger to himself and to the community, as we see in many verses that we read in today's passage. And, and, and the, the, the line is blurred between the danger to himself and the danger to the community. Our, our passage opens with this picture of a wall of a city whose walls are broken down compared to a man who lacks self-control. In Solomon's time, uh, the best way to protect a city was to build a sturdy wall around it. And it's really only been up until the last 150, 200 years that we have been able to protect cities without walls around them. The walls kept out predators. The walls kept out invading armies. But Solomon says someone who lacks self-control, someone who, as we're told in the previous verse, um, will get sick on eating too much honey. That person who lacks self-control is like the city without defenses. If the if the tempter, if the enemy knows that every time they tempt you, you're just going to just crumble and fall right away. Well, then temptation is your lot. Temptation is what is brought to you. In fact, later on in the passage, the the person who lacks self-control is described in graphically disgusting language. Verse 11, the person without self-control is like a dog that returns to its vomit. Dogs were not the cute little loving things that we think of today. Dogs were greatly looked down upon in the ancient Near East. They were the scavengers. They were the garbage eaters. And that's where you could find them most oftentimes was in the garbage uh, dump. What do you do if you eat too much garbage? You throw it up. The one without self-control is a danger because he's like the dog that returns and re-eats what he just threw up. So he's a danger to himself in that way. He's also to a danger to himself that in, in the way that he carries a proverb. It talks here about proverbs and messages in the mouth and the hands of the fool. Giving a message to a fool and expecting him to deliver it or giving a proverb to a fool and expecting him to use it well is like making yourself lame. It's like cutting off your own feet or expecting a lame man's legs to be working causes danger. It causes injury to him. Think of the workaholic as we talked about in Sunday school today, as we looked at the passages on the sluggard. If you give the workaholic the wisdom passages on the sluggard, What is he going to do? He's going to sin more in his idolatry of work or his idolatry of money. And so you have to be careful as the the fool will bring danger to himself, but he also brings danger to the community. Verse nine, like a thorn bush in the drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. As he grasps the thorn bush and hurts himself, he's also flailing it around and hurting people around him. He's like the one who is expected to defend 
the nation with his sling, and yet he ties the stone into his sling and he brings danger to the community. As we look at our world today, we see that we do not like self-control. One TV commercial that ran several years ago says, it's my money and I want it now. No delayed gratification. Give it to me now. It's my right to companionship. So I want it now. It's my right to not feel the difficulties of life. So numb me now. It's my right to be sexually satisfied. So give me pornography now. Proverbs 26, 8 and the rest of this passage highlights the damage that this does to us and to the community around us as we destroy marriage, as we destroy the good things that God has given to us, because as a culture, we are more interested in returning to our vomit than we are in honoring and glorifying God. We take God's words and we twist them to allow us to pursue folly. We twist them to allow us to pursue sin. We do damage to ourselves. We do damage to the community as we bring disease upon ourselves and broken families upon the community. As the trust that used to exist among community members is is fractured and we find ourselves almost evenly divided on both sides of every issue, political, economic, religious, or spiritual. We are slowly in pursuing folly, destroying ourselves and our community. So we can understand why Solomon highlights the dire consequences that come from the pursuit of folly because he is encouraging his son and the advisors to his son to say, put folly away. It will destroy everything. The foolish person will destroy himself. He will destroy his community, especially if he has the power of the king. And so Solomon says we must take drastic measures against the fool in order to preserve the community and the life that God has given us. And that turns us once again to the question, is there any hope for the fool? If he causes that much danger, that much destruction, is there any hope for him? And Solomon says, yes, there is. Look at verse 12 with me of chapter 26. Do you see the man or a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. There are three levels or three types of fools within the book of Proverbs, and we lose this sometimes in English as we have one word to describe three different people. The first is the fool as we have here, and the fool is still portrayed as a young man. He's not the simple. Remember, the simple is the young man or the young woman who has been trained, who has been taught and they are on the point of beginning to make their own decisions. And they can either choose toward wisdom or toward folly. The fool is listed here is the simple person who has begun to make foolish choices, has begun to pursue folly rather than wisdom, has begun to turn their back on God's law rather than on the pursuit of God. And so this fool, fool still has agency. This fool still has the light that he or she can see at the end of the tunnel. 
and can still turn back toward wisdom. The next level of fool that we see in the book of Proverbs has has been making foolish decisions a little bit longer. Their heart's just a little bit harder. Their heart is just a little bit further from God. And while they still have agency, it's becoming weaker as, as they are bound more and more by folly. And the third type of fool that we see in the book of Proverbs is the mocker. The one who is almost so far gone that there is no hope. Well, the fool that Solomon repeatedly talks about in today's passage is that first fool. Still the young man, still the young woman who has made bad choices, but is not so far gone in their folly that they can't be rehabilitated. And so, yes, gloriously, yes, there is hope for the fool. While his walls may be torn down, while his hands may be scarred from the thorns that he has tried to grip, there is hope for healing. There is hope for rehabilitation. And how does God, what does God use to rehabilitate? Well, he uses discipline to rehabilitate the fool. He says in verse three, a whip for the horse's back, a halter for the donkey and a rod for the back of fools. A rod, we, we look at that and we automatically jump to physical corporal punishment. And while that is part of what is depicted here, it is not all of it because the same word oftentimes is used to describe the staff that the shepherd uses to guide the sheep. Do you ever see, have you ever seen pictures of a shepherd with, the, with their staff in their hand? Are they just sitting there wailing on the sheep trying to get them to do what they want to do? No, they're using the staff to gently prod and to gently to make sure that they stay on the path that the that the shepherd has in mind for them as they lead them to those places, as Psalms 23 says, of the green pastures and the still waters. It is it is that loving discipline that the shepherd uses to keep his sheep in line. Sometimes the taps have to be a little bit harder, a little bit firmer than we would like. But the rod for the back of the fool is the shepherd's staff in the hand of the loving shepherd. And the rod, the discipline, is the tool that God uses to rehabilitate the fool. Our passage today from Hebrews 12 highlighted this. It put the the rod in the hand of the shepherd, the truly loving, eternally caring shepherd that uses his rod to discipline and to keep his sheep in line. And he does this to heal the damage and he does this to bring hope to the fool. But, you know, sometimes God uses things as his rod of discipline that we don't often consider or think about. And sometimes if I am the one being the fool, he will use you as the rod of discipline. He uses his people as the rod of discipline and he gives us guidelines for that in verses four and five. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So which is it? Do we not answer the fool, or do we answer the fool? Well, before we talk about this, we need to deal with the seemingly contradictory nature of this particular statement. And I would say that this is not a contradiction, but it is a dilemma. A contradiction is two statements that both claim to be true, but work against each other because one of them, or sometimes both of them, are false. 
A dilemma can be framed by two statements that are true but have different applications. So which is it? Do we answer a fool or do we not answer a fool? Well, it depends. Depends on the situation. It depends on your ability to enter into the conversation. It depends upon your willingness to answer with wisdom rather than folly. And it just depends upon the receptivity of the person that you are dealing with. But sometimes we are called to answer the fool and sometimes we are called not to answer the fool and it takes the application of wisdom to know the difference. How do we grow in wisdom? We grow in wisdom by applying wisdom. How do we apply wisdom? Well, we grow in wisdom. It's a bit of a circular argument there. It's a bit of a circular process. But let's look at these two verses as to how we use them in order to be the rod of discipline that God calls us to. First, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Or, as George Bernard Shaw said in the early 20th century, don't wrestle with a pig. You just get dirty and the pig enjoys it. Sometimes the fool is so deep in his folly that there's just no answer for it. The other application to this is that sometimes we are tempted to answer folly with folly. I think this we see this in some of the tactics that we use, as I talked about last week, when we argue online. When we argue online, we have a tendency to use the same tactics that those we are arguing against use. And while they use statements and quote unquote science, oftentimes those things are a little bit less than true. And we do a disservice to God and we do a disservice to the fool whenever we use those little bit untrue statements or other little bit untrue statements to fight little bit untrue statements. And you all realize a little bit untrue statement is untrue, right? When we answer falsehood with falsehood, we do a great disservice and show ourselves to be more like the fool than like God. When we answer anger with anger, we show, do ourselves a disservice and we show ourselves to be more like the fool than like God. If we are going to answer, and we'll deal with that here in just a minute, we need to do so in truth and in a way that shows God's glory and love, which is what the next passage, the next verse means. When we do answer a fool, we answer his folly with truth. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, Jesus is is a series of discussions that Jesus is having with the religious leaders, including the parable of the tenants, uh, the authority of Jesus being questioned. And that 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 question that they ask him trying to tax him about paying his tax or trap him about paying his taxes to Caesar. And then after that particular statement, the Sadducees come to him and they ask him a question. They say, teacher, picking up in verse 19, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. And in fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? 
Now, let's stop right there for just a second. Jesus could have answered folly with folly, and they would have been into some bizarre argument over who this lady was married to for the rest of eternity. It would have just gone round and round. Well, why do you think it's the oldest? Why do you think it's the youngest? Why do you think it's the middle? Well, why are you leaving out number six? It would have just gone on and on if Jesus had sought to answer them according to the question that they asked. But he didn't answer folly with folly. He answered folly with wisdom. Verse 24, and Jesus replied, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Basically, Jesus answers the Sadducees by saying, you have the scriptures right there in front of your face and you don't even see them. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And Jesus says, God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And the first five books of the Bible, which were the only books of the Bible that the Sadducees thought were valid and inspired, Jesus says, even your scriptures say that God is the God of the living. You deny the reality of God. And in asking me this question, you show me your folly and I'm going to expose your sin. Now, we're not Jesus. But we are called to answer folly with wisdom, not with more folly. There are things in this in this world, in this culture in our country that are wrong that we can agree with people on the other side of the spiritual aisle from us that are wrong but we have a far firmer foundation we don't answer racism in the way the world answer racism because how does the world answer racism by lifting one race up over the other by making race the center of our identity. What is the center of our identity? We are the image of God. We are created in God's image and that gives everybody dignity, which then allows each and every one of us to pursue dignity and importance and equality together. But if we choose the world's definitions, if we choose the world's tactics, we just become fools. And we encourage them in their folly. And here's the other thing. When people disagree or betray us, how are we tempted to respond? Typically in kind or in anger or even in violence. God did not answer us according to our folly of sin. As we rebelled and did violence, drank violence against him, he met us with grace and with forgiveness. He did not answer according to our folly, but according to his wisdom and according to his glory. The hope for the fool is that God disciplines those he loves. And in that discipline seeks to draw them toward holiness, a holiness that he offers to them. In Jesus. Is there hope for the fool? Man, it is such a glorious reality that I can unequivocally say yes. There is hope for the fool. 
And this is more than just an intellectual endeavor to see if someone out there has any hope. Brothers and sisters, even if we are saved and regenerated by the work of Christ, oftentimes you and I act the fool. We want our agendas and we want them now. We want our comfort and we want them now. We want sermons that make us feel good without conviction and we want them when? Now. We turn our back on self-control and we trot happily to the vomit of our sin. And God disciplines us in that sin, drawing us back, giving us hope, reminding us of the reality that is ours in Jesus Christ. He heals the damage done by our folly through his loving and corrective discipline. When I ask, is there hope for the fool? I'm asking, is there hope for me? Is there hope for you? Brothers and sisters, God's discipline is proof that there is. It is a glorious hope secured by the cross. Rejoice and take comfort in the hope given you through the discipline of God. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father above, we do thank you for these words of Solomon that remind us that there is hope for the fool. In your discipline, in your love, show me at times where I am foolish and need to grow in wisdom. And when you choose to use me or you choose to use us in this place as your rod of discipline for the fool, give us the wisdom to know when we should answer and when we should not. And give us the love for them that you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go today, take this blessing upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of peace be with you all. As we seek the wisdom of living in this world, we cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.